So we're going to continue on this morning with the series that we started last week, Created to Worship. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, this is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. I'm going to go to John chapter 4 and verse 23. And while we're, while we're getting there, thank you. And I'm probably going to say this again later on in the main service, but thank you to everybody who, who came along yesterday and helped us drop off flyers to do fundraising for our, for our youth group. <clears throat> and I think potentially it's it's got the potential to be a great way for us to raise funds for a church building as well. It's got great potential to be used to raise funds for a church building as well. Thank you for those people who volunteered their time to come and drive. Sonia, Arlette, thank you. And uh, take people around. And um, we've still got about 6,000 flyers or so to go. So we've still got some work to do, so there'll be some more work, walking to be done. Um, but I want to try and do it a bit earlier in the morning so we can get a little bit more done in the day, you know. We hopefully, we won't have to spend quite so much time organizing things next time. John chapter 4, verse 23, talking about being created to worship. This is Jesus. He's speaking to the woman that's at the well. The Samaritan woman, he says, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshippers, everyone say true worshippers, don't you want to be a true worshipper? True worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So just to quickly go over what we spoke about last week, why are we talking about worship? We're talking about worship because first of all, God is worthy of worship. Amen. And whereas praise can be used really for anything, we can praise a car, we can praise a nice racehorse, we can praise our work colleagues for doing a great job, we can praise our musicians for playing skillfully. Worship is something that relates only to the divine. It only relates to God. God is the only one that we should worship. That's not to say we can't worship other things, but if we do, it's wrong. We are only to worship God, and He is the only one who is truly worthy of that worship. Somebody say amen. The other reason we're talking about worship is because worship takes us deeper into our experience with God. We are all on a journey with God at, in some way or some form. You know, we've had some experience with God. Some people have known that there's been a God involved in their life, but maybe they haven't really joined all the dots together yet. Maybe others have been living for God for 20, 30 years. Maybe some people have just started really living for God, you know, and, and we're all at a different area in our life. And, and the important thing here is, is that it is worship that helps that relationship with God grow. Amen. And here's why, because when we are in worship, when we are living a life of worship, God can do more in our life in five seconds than what we can do Within five years, God is able to do miraculous things in our life when that relationship is developing and it's close and we are living a life of worship to Him. Amen. So that's why we're talking about worship. And, and last week we spoke 
probably really last week was all just introduction, but we spoke about three main points about worship. The first one was this one. What was it? Worship flows from divine revelation. Or in other words, we will only ever grow our level of worship as we grow our perspective of God. Right? If we only see God as someone really not that important in our life, our level of worship will reflect that. If we see God as someone who's great to have in our life on the weekend, but not so important during the week, then our level of worship will reflect that. If we see God as our everything, then our level of worship will reflect that as well. Amen. And we will only ever grow our level of worship as we grow in our perspective of God. What was the second point? Can anyone remember? Yeah, praise is for a moment. Praise is momentary. Worship is eternal. Praise is always based on things that God has done. Think about it. When we praise God, we praise God for healing us. We praise God for helping us. We praise God for helping us meet our needs. We praise God for providing this. We praise God for doing that. And all of those things are bound up in time. They are all based specifically to a, they've got a time attached to them. They are for the here and now. You know, like we, we praise God and we thank Him for providing our meals. Amen. Who prays for their meal before they eat? Right? We call it saying grace. Right? We do that. But it's based on that meal. We don't pray and say, God, thank you for all the meals that we're going to have this year. And then leave it at that. Right? We pray specifically for It'd save time. But it wouldn't be right. We praise God. Specifically for something at that moment that we have received. But, but worship is different. Because while praise is focused on what God does for us, worship is focused on who God is. And who God is, is eternal. Who God is, is unchanging. Who God is, does not change. And so what happens is when we shift from praise to worship, what we are doing is we're taking our, our, our circumstance and our mind, we're pulling our attention off something that is temporal, and we're putting it on something that's never going to change. Amen? Because this world is full of change. Amen? But God is for eternity. And so when we worship, it is based on the nature of God. And we are elevating our perspective of life to something that is eternal. And, and here's the thing. When we do this, we begin to see things like God sees things. And that's a paradigm shift. Right? That's a bit of a mind switch that happens in our lives. When all of a sudden you see things like God begins to see things. And you're no longer looking at things through natural eyes. You begin to see things in the spirit. Now, I'm not talking about seeing literal spirits. right? But I mean you begin to understand spiritually what is going on. You see things as God sees things. And the last point. Excuse me. <clears throat> Do we admit, admire, or adore God? Do we admit God? Do we admit that there might be some supreme being somewhere out there who has some form of some sort of influence in some things in some people's lives? Right, really nondescript, kind of nebulous, kind of, you know, eh, maybe. We admit there is a God. Do we admire God? <clears throat> or in other words, do we look at the things that God does 
and go, wow, that's pretty nifty stuff you got there, God. <clears throat> do we admire the things that He's done? Do we admire His acts? <clears throat> Deary me, do we admire the things that he does? Do we look at the things he does and think that's pretty cool? Or do we adore him? Or in other words, do we get our eyes off the things that he does and focus on the things that he is? Hello? That is to move to adoration where you are no longer. You, and here's the thing. So often how we feel about God is based on things he does. Hello? Think about it. We've got a great need in our life. God steps in and answers it. Oh, God, I love you. God, you're amazing. God, you're incredible. I praise you, God. You're so awesome. I'm just going to do a little boogaloo over here and dance and shout and sing hallelujah. But then when God says no. Oh, God, why can't you do this for me, Lord? It's not fair. Don't you see what's happening? You see my need. Why don't you answer me? All of that is focused on the things God does. Right? But if you can get your eyes off the things God does and place it on God himself, and all of a sudden it doesn't matter if the answer is yes or the answer is no. If the answer is wait or the answer is perhaps just wait and see. Right? When we got our eyes focused on God himself, all of a sudden we move into that place of adoring God just because of who he is, not because of the things he did. And, and the example we spoke about last week was... The people of Israel. You know, you look, at, you look at the journey of the Israelite children after they left the land of Egypt on their way to the promised land. Man, they were like a roller coaster. Yes, we love God. He's given us manner. No, we've got no water. We're all going to die. What are you doing, Moses? Oh, we've got water. Praise you, Jesus. This is awesome. How fantastic. No, we're being attacked by the enemy. This is so not fair. Hello? Whereas Moses... He just had a relationship with God. It didn't matter what was going wrong, what was going right. Didn't matter if there was water, no water. Didn't matter if there was food, no food. Didn't matter if they were under attack or not under attack. As far as Moses was concerned, God doesn't change. He's never let us down. He's not going to let us down now. The answer is coming because I know God, not just the things that he does. So do we admit, admire, or adore God? <clears throat> and so moving on this morning... Here's the next thing I want to tell you. God's desire is not, hear me now, God's desire is not to make you a worker. He wants to make you a worshiper. And you say that again. God's desire is not to make you a worker. He wants to make you a worshiper. Here's the thing. It is the work of religion. To make people workers. But it is the work of God to make you a worshiper. Because here's the thing. God knows that if he can make you a worshiper, you will naturally want to be a worker in his kingdom. But it starts with worship because a worker by nature is not a worshiper. But a worshiper is always someone who is willing to work in the kingdom of God. Look at this. Turn in your Bibles. Gospel of Luke. Just one book back from John, Luke chapter 10. Luke 
We're going to start reading from verse 38. Say, praise the Lord if you're there. Say, wait on me if you're not there yet. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, And it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha, everyone say Martha, received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, everyone say Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to come and help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here's the thing. Martha was busy serving Jesus. Busy cooking, cleaning, making some snacks, I don't know, putting the coffee on. She was busy serving Jesus. Mary was busy sitting at Jesus' feet, right? We work out of a sense of duty. Martha worked because she felt, I've got a duty to work. It is my house. I have a guest. It is my duty. But we worship out of a sense of desire. See, we, we work out of a sense of duty. Well, I've got to do this because if I don't do this, pastor, it's going, to, it's going to let the pastor down and, you know, the church needs me to do this and, oh, man, I just, I just oh, I'm too tired. I've got stuff on. I'm busy. I don't want to do this. It's duty. But we worship out of a sense of desire. And that only happens when we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. When we're sitting there worshiping Him, what motivates that is desire, not Judy, amen. And so this is one of the reasons why I believe God enjoys the worship of humanity more than the worship of the angels around the throne. Here's why. Because the angels were specifically created to worship God. That is all they do. Day in, day out. They're around God. They worship Him. They worship Him. They worship Him. They worship Him. It's relentless. But they do it out of duty. They were created for that task, for that sole purpose of worshiping God. So why God loves us and our worship so much is because when we bring our worship, we are not bringing it out of a sense of duty. We are bringing it out of a desire to draw closer to God, out of a desire to enter into a deeper relationship with Him, out of a desire to know Him more, right? So it's not duty, it's desire. And that's why God loves that, because while they are created to worship God, and it's their duty to worship God, and they behold the majesty of God day in and day out, something moves in God's heart. When someone whose life was broken lifts up their hands and says, I'm just going to worship you anyway, Lord. When someone is in the depths of despair and they can come before the presence of God and lift their hands up and say, I love you, Jesus. I don't understand why this is happening, but I still worship you. When someone who's broken, who's browned with chains of addictions and problems and, and circumstance and shackles and all sorts of problems in their life, when they come and worship God, they have no duty, they have no obligation, but they do it out of a desire to worship God. 
That is the amazing thing about the worship that we can offer God. Amen. And this is why it is so important to move past just programs and plans and traditions and, and timetables because we, we need to have programs. Don't get me wrong. Programs are important. We need to have programs. But we need to learn to pursue an atmosphere of worship when we come together. That's why I loved what Brother Isaac did when he prayed and said, we need the glory of God. If we want the glory of God in our church, we have to learn as a group of corporate believers to lift our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strength, everything we have in worship to God. Because that is what He wants. And that's what His glory will respond to. Amen. We need to learn to worship as a church. We need to learn to cultivate that area to worship. We can't just come in here and think, well, it's another church day. It's my duty to be here. I'm on the drums. I better be there. Hello? Well, I'm preaching today. I better show up. Hello? But we come to church because it's like, okay, I've just got to get with God's people and I've got to worship God. That's what it is about. It's not about the duties. It's not about the tasks. It's about worshiping God. Because here's the thing. Duty will not keep you walking out on God. I'll say that again. Duty is not going to keep you walking out on God. Keep you from walking out on God. Religion will not keep you wandering away from God. Keep you from wandering away from God. This world is full of religion. People are sick of religion. What they want is relationship, amen. Legislation and rules will not help you hold fast to your faith. Because obligation is a very poor substitute for true worship. But if you can develop a heart of worship, one that is always in awe at the majesty of God, in awe at who He is, and not just the things that He does. It's when we can join with David in the book of Psalms, when he says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. It is this wonder that keeps you from wandering. It is this wonder about who God is and, and how great He is and, and how incredible He is. That is what keeps you from wandering because it is based on who God is, not on what God does. Amen. We can work at being a Christian. We can know all the right things to say. We can know all the right times to clap our hands and sing all the right songs. Some of us might sing in key. Others of us might not. But we all know the right things to do. But that doesn't make us a worshiper. Amen. And until we develop into a worshiper of God, our work at becoming a Christian will fail. Amen. Praise the Lord. Because work is based on the things God does. But worship is based on who God is. Somebody say amen. amen. Woo, that was intense. John chapter 4. Where we were before. I want, you to, I want to read this verse again to you. I want to show you something else here. John chapter 4 verse 23. 
John chapter 4, verse 23, But the hour cometh, and the hour is when true worship shall worship the Father in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. You, everyone say you. Everyone say me. That's better. <laughs> you could be what God is looking for. You could be what God is looking for. One of our greatest needs, not only as a church, but as individuals, is to get a spiritual perception about what is important. We need to learn to get our spiritual priorities right. We understand priorities. In the natural sense, we're very good at, praying, at, at, at understanding our priorities, right? Well, we know that it does not take a genius... If you do not pay your ergon bill, your electricity will go out. Hello? We know that if you don't go down to Woolworths or Coles, depending on your loyalties, and buy some groceries, your family is going to go hungry. So we understand that in the natural sense, there are some priorities. For example, when we get our paycheck, we know that some of that has to go to food. And some of that has to go to electricity. And some of that has to go to petrol. Right? We understand that there's priorities with what we've got to do with our money. We get that. We understand that there's priorities in life. You know, if, if I'm going to pick on Sam here. If Sam gets up in the morning and says, I don't want to go to school today. And mom says, why don't you want to go to school? I just don't feel like it. Do you think mom's going to accept that? Not on the coldest day in hell. She's going to send him out that door, send him off to school. Why? Because mom understands there's a priority there. That you need to get an education. You can't just quit because you don't feel like it anymore. Amen? And so we, we understand in the natural sense. We know that if we don't maintain our car, it will break down. Unless you've got something like Sister Debbie's got. <laughs> but here's the thing. So often spiritually... Sorry. <laughs> We don't get our priorities right. And we only learn what is important and what really counts by being exposed to truth. And if you worship in spirit and in truth, God will search for you. And that shouldn't surprise us. Humanity, in general, are searchers. Do you know that? We are searchers. What is it that possessed a man to strap himself in a rocket and shoot himself off into space just to see if it could be done, just to see what's out there. What possessed them to go and land on the moon with such a great degree of danger where many people died trying to get there? Not many people, but several people died in that Apollo program to get to the point where they could land. So Why? Because men are searchers. Why do you think people, why, why is there a market for metal detectors? You see people on the beach. Why? Searching. Why is it that we try to go to the deepest parts of the ocean? We, what is it about Mount Everest that attracts people? To, the very first, Edmund Hillary. What attracted him to go right up to the top? Because it hadn't been done yet and he wanted to see what was up there. Right? We are searchers by nature. You know, we, archaeologists search. For lost civilization, please search for criminals. Have you ever gone absolutely bananas because you've lost something? And you swear you put it in that spot, but it's not there anymore. Hello? 
We are searchers. The medical field is always searching for cures to sickness. We often search for success, for happiness, for fulfillment, for security, for purpose. And here's the thing. We are created in the image of God. So it shouldn't come as a huge surprise to us that God is also a searcher. And He is searching for true worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. You might be what God is looking for. Look at this. First Samuel, in the Old Testament now. The book of First Samuel, that's the one that's before Second Samuel. little pastor joke there. I think it's in a category of its own. You've got dad jokes and pastor jokes. First Samuel chapter 13. And Samuel said to Saul, verse 13, it's first Samuel 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, this is King Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established your kingdom upon Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. Why? For the Lord has sought, he's searching, a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded here. So there's a warning here. There's a warning here for us. Here it is. We can be in the service of God and not be what God's looking for. Just let that sink in for a second. We can be in the service of God and not be what God is looking for. Think about it. Saul was called of God. He was the anointed king of Israel, anointed for the task of leading the holy people of God. But he wasn't what God was looking for. He didn't end up being the right one. Look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 16, just three chapters on. Verse 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king amongst his son. Son, sorry. Three chapters on, and God is still on a search. And in the middle of all the mess of what was happening in Saul's life, God was still searching. That's scary. To think that God can look at my life, look into my heart, Look into my motivations. Look into my attitudes and go, you're not what I want. Wow. I need to move on and find someone else. You see, he looked past Saul. He looked past Saul's family and said, you don't have what I want. So what was God searching for? Look at this, Acts chapter 13 in the New Testament now.
Acts 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave this testimony. Or in other words, this is what God said about King David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Who shall fulfill all my will. Samuel went through all of Jesse's sons, and he couldn't find the right one. They all had talent, but God was not interested in talent. What he wanted was somebody who would fulfill his will. That's what God was searching for. And so when Jesus says the Father is seeking for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth, he is expressing his will for our life. He wants us to worship in spirit and in truth because that is what he is looking for. Amen. Running out of time. So we need to be able to move past just working for God because this Christian life is not about the things that you do for God. It's about a life of worship of God. Amen. It's one thing to be involved in the work of the church, but at some stage we need to start moving into a deeper relationship with God. I do this because the pastor asked me. I do this because I'm good at it. I've got some skill, some talent in this ability. I do it because people rely on me. These are worker mentalities. These are worker mentalities. But a worshiper who lives their life in worship of God does these things not out of a sense of duty but out of a heart of worship. And that's what moves us from being workers to worshipers. Amen? All right, let's quickly get through this last point. We'll finish up quickly. True worship leaves you naked. Turn to the person next to you say, you naked? Let me ask you a question. Who do you think the best worshiper in the Bible was? Close. I put him at number two. Okay, if Jesus is number two, then David must be number three. It's not fair. You can't use Jesus. He automatically ends up at the top of the list, right? I believe, let me submit this to you. I believe the best worshiper in the Bible was Adam. There are two main traits that we know about Adam. There's not a whole lot written in the Bible about Adam, but there's two main things we know about Adam. Number one, Adam was sinless before the fall, which meant he was able to dwell in the very presence of God. Amen. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse, uh, sorry, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. We see that God spoke with Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that God came to walk with Adam in the cool of the garden. Right? So he had a really close relationship with God. They chilled out together because Adam was sinless and God could be in his presence. Here's the other thing we know about Adam. They were naked. <laughs> they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Genesis 2.25. Why was Adam created in the first place? Let's think about this. Because right from the very beginning, God wanted to have someone who would worship Him and love Him, not out of a sense of duty, but out of adoration. 
about who God was. And so when Adam fell, God went through the garden calling for him, Adam, where are you? God had lost his first worshiper. And so was set into motion this hunt for true worshipers. God wants people to worship him. But before Adam fell, God had a relationship with him. There was communication between Adam and God. Amen. Adam was not afraid of the presence of God. Why? Because he had nothing to hide from God. There was no hidden motive. There was nothing hidden at all in his life. He wasn't worried about God going, oh, what's that, Adam? What's going on over there? Why are you doing that? Because he was sinless. He had nothing to hide from God. There was no secrets between him and God. Amen. But notice, what is the first thing that Adam did after the fall? He went and hid himself because he was ashamed and he did not want to be in the presence of God. The first thing he did was to hide as soon as God came looking. Why? Because sin changes communication to confrontation. So true worshipers are naked before God. And I'm speaking spiritually here, not literally. Someone say praise the Lord. If you have been cleansed from sin, if you are living a life of separation unto God, if you've repented of your sins, if you're living in obedience to the gospel, you have nothing to hide from God. You don't have to be afraid of God's presence. And what this means is that a true worshiper is able to enter into the very presence of God. Why do you think the veil in the temple was torn when Jesus died on the cross? He was saying, you can come into my presence now. The way is open for you. You can be sinless just like Adam was back in the garden. And you can come into the presence of God. That's incredible. That is what true worship will get you to. The ability to enter into the presence of God. You know, we all know those people. You ever seen people that just seem so close to God? You know, like Moses, when he comes down off the mountain, the people are like, yo, dude, put a bag over your head. Your face is shining. Why? Because he's been in the presence of God. You know, those people in church that just seem really close to God. You know, you can have that too. You can have that too. The reason they have it is because there's nothing hidden in their life. There's nothing that they're worried about God finding out. There's no secrets. There's, no, there's nothing between them and God. Their life is an open book to God. God can walk in and see everything. Amen? And that's where we need to be. So true worshipers are naked before God. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? We are out of time. God's desire is not to make you a worker. He wants to make you a worshiper. You could be what God is looking for this morning, today. And finally, true worship leaves us naked because we have nothing to hide before God. We're just happy for God to march in on our life. Anytime He wants, He could come in. Anytime we want, we can enter into His presence because we've got nothing to hide. Praise the Lord. Why don't we just close our eyes, bow our heads. Let's just talk to the Lord together. Precious Jesus, we thank you.